the podcast from Belmont Chapel in Exeter, sharing the story, living the life. For more information, go to belmontchapel.org.uk. Well, good morning. It's uh, lovely to be with you. For those of you who don't know who I am, my name's Nick Goldsworthy. I'm going to say I'm a member of the staff and the leadership team here at Belmont Chapel, and that is only true for the next month. Uh, because I will be um, uh, moving away from my staff and leadership team roles at the end of April. So this is possibly, or in fact I think it is, uh, the the last time that I'll be speaking on a Sunday morning as a member of the leadership team and staff, although if somebody asks me to do it again, I'll do it. So this morning, we're going to spend some time again. We're in our teaching series, our Come and See. We're looking at the Gospel of John. You know what we've been doing over the last several months. In fact, When we started this series back in June, I said to you that this would probably be the longest teaching series we'd ever done at Belmont. Well, that's certainly going to be true. I also said that um, we wouldn't necessarily be following the story in the way that it goes. And that is also true uh, because today we are taking a leap forward, as you've probably realized um, from our reading. We're taking a leap forward from where we are last Sunday in order to bring our consideration of John's Gospel just in line uh, with the events of Easter. Our passage for this morning comes from the beginning of John chapter 12. We're going to be looking at two stories. Lucy's helped us with the second one. We will be referencing it towards the end of the talk, but we're going to look at the first one uh, in majority. Two separate stories, uh, two linked titles, The Aroma of the King and the adoration of the king. Now, during this series, we've repeatedly commented that John's gospel is very different. It is very different from all of the other three gospels. Now, his gospel was the last of the four to be written. It's possible and likely even uh, that John had access to all of the other gospels when he wrote his own. Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke are known collectively as the synoptic gospels. That's just a term that simply means they share a common perspective, although they don't actually share a common audience. They're written for a different reason, but they share common perspective. John's gospel, very different, as we've learned. For instance, John doesn't tell us anything at all about Jesus' storytelling. doesn't tell us about the parables. Uh, We don't get to hear about the kingdom of God and about God and about Jesus himself through those parables in John's gospel. We don't get to hear about Jesus talking um, about healing lepers or about driving out demons. And many of the familiar stories that we, we know so well just don't feature. They're just not in John's Gospel. In fact, the only story really that appears across all four Gospels is the miraculous feeding of thousands of people. The story that Saz helped us to think about uh, earlier in the year. And the reason why I mention that is because at first glance you may be tempted to think that the reading we're about to share from John chapter 12 appears in all of the four Gospels. Well, however, on close examination, I think it's true that there are two stories of Jesus being anointed, two stories with two different women involved. Now, we don't have time to explore the similarities or the differences. Uh, We're not going to do that. We're also not going to, I'll put this out as a teaser, we're also not going to think about whether or not Mary of Bethany is actually Mary of Magdalene. You can work that one out yourself if you want to. I'm going to leave that one for you to ponder, but I can point you towards some helpful reading and resources if you'd like to do that. 
But the main difference between the Gospels is, I think in very simple terms, this. Whilst the three synoptic Gospels focus in majority on what Jesus did and said, John wants to take his readers a step further. He wants to uncover Jesus' identity. He wants to invite a response. Quite simply, he wants us to come and see. This verse has uh, been floating around over this series. We've often referenced it. I think Johnny referenced it only last week. Uh, This is John's rationale for writing the gospel. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. And those two verses are the key for unlocking the book. Everything you read in John's gospel has to be read in the light of those two verses. So John's writing is not primarily historical. It's not primarily biographical. It is first and foremost and always theological. John is far more interested in the why than the what. His particular eyewitness account is very carefully, very purposefully, Curated, edited, examined, and interpreted. So with those two verses in mind, let's turn to our passage for this morning. John chapter 12, we're going to read the first 11 verses through together. If you've got a Bible with you, then uh, please follow along. Uh, There are Bibles, uh, there's one in the box, the two boxes. If you want to go and pick one up, please uh, don't feel embarrassed to do that if you'd like to. The verses are going to be on the screen, in fact, so you can follow them there or simply just close your eyes and and listen whilst I read so many options to engage in God's word. So let's do it. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honour. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about half a litre of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and putting their faith in him. Let's just pray, shall we, before we consider our verses. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, We thank you that we're able to open it and to read it and share from it. We thank you that it is vital and alive and living. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that not only indwells the words of the pages, but also indwells us. And we pray that as we consider your word once more, that you will help us to understand it and apply it to our lives, we ask. Amen. 
Uh, one of the most fascinating neurological links is that of smell and memory. On the landing at the top of the stairs in our home is this cabinet. It came from my grandparents' house. I can vividly recall its location. It sat next to the door of the smallest of their guest bedrooms. But the link to my childhood doesn't end with the physicality of this cabinet because if you were to open it, you would discover that there is an aroma that permeates from within it. And every time I smell it, I am transported back to remember my grandparents with great fondness. I have to be honest, the the smell of it is very difficult to describe. It's kind of medicinal, but it also has notes of sort of cloves and spices. I imagine, although I'm not sure, I'd imagine at some point in time, something was spilt onto the wooden shelf of the cabinet, and it seeped into the very fibres of the wood, such that its aroma remains powerful and evocative, despite the passing of several decades. Losing the sense of smell was one of those symptoms and is a continuing symptom for many with um, COVID. And since, as we know, smell affects taste, sufferers of long COVID often express a profound sense of loss, a sense of, of sadness as a result. In a recent study that was undertaken by Christina Zelano, professor of neurology at Feinberg School of Medicine in the US, she says this, the smell-brain connection is a complex system with many parallel paths delivering information simultaneously to many brain areas milliseconds after we smell. This powerful sensory system is critical to our human experience, yet it is perhaps the most poorly understood compared to other human sensory systems. So let's return to our story. John sets the scene. He tells us that the events that we have read occurs six days before the Passover. It's the beginning of Holy Week. Jesus, along with his disciples, are in the house of Lazarus and Mary and Martha. And whilst we we aren't told exactly how many days separated this event from Jesus' miraculous raising of Lazarus from the dead, the story that we're going to look at, in fact, in a few Sundays' time, most commentators seem to agree that they are pretty closely linked. Now, I don't know about you, but I think the most um, impressive or the most impactful verse within this is this one. Then Mary took about half a litre of pure nard, an expensive perfume, she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his hair, his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Now, both of the stories that we're looking at this morning demand that we explore something of the cultural background into which the events described occur. Without appreciating context, we will easily miss the full significance of what Mary does. And whilst Jesus clarifies one aspect of the story, he comments, doesn't he, that Mary was preparing him for the day of his burial, there are other important things happening that would have been immediately obvious to the disciples, in fact, perhaps so obvious that Jesus doesn't refer to them, and neither does John explain them. By anointing Jesus with such an expensive fragrance, Mary was either knowingly or not 
making a profound statement about Jesus' identity. What do we know about John's gospel? John's purpose, the whole purpose in writing his gospel, is what we read earlier. To reveal Jesus as the Messiah, God's son. And that is particularly in view with this story and the story of Palm Sunday. You'll know that those living in first century Palestine were were waiting for God to send his chosen one. They were waiting for the Messiah to rescue them. The Hebrew word for Messiah is Meshiah, which literally means the anointed one. With Christos, or Christ, of course, being the familiar to us Greek equivalent. And this term, this term, the anointed one, alludes to a ceremony enacted to set apart someone chosen by God, such as a king or a priest. So instead of being crowned during a coronation, Hebrew kings were anointed. They were anointed with sacred oil perfumed with extremely expensive spices. And can you imagine this intoxicating scent? Everywhere the king went, there was this intoxicating scent that was left behind. It acted, if you like, as rather like an invisible crown. It was intended to confer upon people this aura of holiness. Everything and everyone with that unique fragrance was recognized as belonging to God in an appointed way. In the ancient Middle East, the majesty of the king wasn't just simply expressed by what he wore. It wasn't to do with his robes and his finery. It was to do with the royal aroma. So following a king's first anointing, for instance, he would on certain occasions perfume his robes with the same precious oils. Listen to these words. Uh, This comes from David's wedding song recorded for us in Psalm 45. You love righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. All your robes are fragrant with myrrh and aloes and cassia. Similarly, what about this one? This comes from the Song of Songs. This is written about King David. So, uh, sorry, King Solomon is David's son. Who is this coming up from the desert like a column of smoke perfumed with myrrh and incense made from all the spices of the merchant? Look, it is Solomon's carriage escorted by 60 warriors, the noblest of Israel. So says John as he writes his gospel, as he recounts the story, look, here is your king. And we, like those within the story, are being asked to respond. There is, I think, within the story, a marked contrast, isn't there? There's a marked contrast between Mary's wholehearted and seemingly quite reckless, abandoned worship and devotion with the very pragmatic and very earthbound response of Judas. But this is one of those scenes, I think, that very positively shouts at us. It says, where are you in this story? Tom Wright, in his commentary, John for Everyone, makes uh, these observations. 
Are you, he says, with the shameless Mary, worshipping Jesus with everything she's got, risking the wrath of her sister who's doing all the hard work, the anger of the men who perhaps don't quite trust them, her own feelings when a woman lets her hair down in public, and the sneer of the person who knows the price of everything and the value of nothing? Or, says Wright, are you with the cautious, prudent, reliable Judas, as he must have seen to most of them, looking after the meagre resources of a group without steady or settled income, anxious to provide for their needs and still have something left for the poor. Wright goes on to encourage us to set aside any prejudice that we may have about Judas, recognizing that even at the very, very last, none of the disciples suspected him of treachery. So Wright says, do you see a glimpse of Judas as you look in the mirror? Our home group notes this morning, uh, this week include a quotation from John Sentamu. Words spoken by him at his induction into the office of the Archbishop of York in 2005. This is what Sentamu says. We've lost the joy and power that makes real disciples and we've become consumers of religion and not disciples of Jesus Christ. Here's a question for you. I wonder how long the aroma of the perfume lingered in the house. John comments, doesn't he? He comments in his writing that the aroma filled the house. It got into every nook and cranny. Its influence seeped into the very fabric of the house. Later on in scripture, when we get on into um, Paul's writing in the New Testament... The Apostle Paul encourages his friends in Corinth, and by extension to all of us, of course, to similarly be immersed in the devotion of Christ. This is what he writes, writes to his friends. This is Eugene Peterson's version in his paraphrase, The Message. In the Messiah, in Christ, God leads us from place to place in one perpetual victory parade. Do you remember what Lucy said earlier? Through us, he brings knowledge of Christ. Everywhere we go, people breathe in the exquisite fragrance. Because of Christ, we give off a sweet scent rising to God, which is recognized by those on the way of salvation, an aroma redolent with life. But how does this happen? Well, this only happens if we keep in step with Rabbi Jesus, if we walk close to him, if we are in proximity to him. This only happens when his very existence, his influence, seeps into the very fabric of our lives, takes over us entirely, rather like that fragrance in the cabinet that got into the very fibres, got into the very life of that cabinet and refuses, despite anything that happens, to be removed. Do we truly recognize and understand what it means to be 
in Christ and Christ in us? Do we know what it means to be daughters of the king, daughters and sons of the king of kings? It leads me to a question, I think. Do we consume Christ or merely the religious trappings of Christianity? Are we wholeheartedly following him or merely consumers of religion? Before we move on to consider briefly the second part of the reading for today that Lucy's already helped us with, I've asked Jenny, um, Jenny Flanagan if she would just come up and help us reflect for a moment on what we've read. Jenny, amongst many other things, is a writer, an actor, and a performer. Jenny. I had the idea some time ago. At first, it seemed like the thing that we owed him after he brought Lazarus back to us. It's it's the most expensive thing we own by a long way. It's worth more than a year's wages. If anything ever happened to Lazarus, then it's all that my sister Martha and I would have to live off if we sold it. That and, and the charity of relatives... So when he brought Lazarus back to life, it seemed like the gift that we owed to him. But it was more than that. It was a way of saying to him that he had changed us, that he had changed me, that my security wasn't anymore in this thing that we owned, that we could sell. That when he had brought Lazarus back to life, he, he had brought us back to life, Martha and I. And, and I wanted him to know that I would give it freely, wholeheartedly, that I would pour it all out to him in love and in trust. I told my sister Martha my idea and she thought I was crazy, but she didn't try to stop me. She, she nodded said that she would serve the meal. And so all the time that they were eating, I was in the other room, waiting, thinking, but but not thinking too hard. I I didn't want to analyse it and and take it apart and risk losing it all in in practicality and reason. I just, I focused on Jesus, on the rabbi, because when I thought of him, my heart filled up and I knew that I wanted to do it. And when I heard that they had finished eating, I walked into the other room and I knelt down at Jesus' feet and I poured all of the perfume out over his feet and ankles and it trickled out onto the stone floor. I'd forgotten to bring a towel and so I let down my hair and I started to wipe it away. The smell was incredible, overwhelming, intoxicating. It was like being caught up in a cloud of love and worship. I only looked up once, but the rabbi was smiling. And at the same time, I think he looked sad. Time and space stopped meaning anything to me. 
All I was aware of was the smell and his smile and the sound of my hair on his feet. It felt holy, like even Yahweh was smiling. And then there was this voice, this harsh voice. It was Judas. I I don't really know Judas. He doesn't often speak. And he said, why was it this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? And and I thought, because it was for him. It was for the rabbi. Does he not understand? And then this chill went through me that that was what they were all thinking, that that was what Jesus was thinking, that no one had understood that it was all wrong. And then the rabbi spoke. Leave her alone, he said. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. And and I think I understood what he was saying that he was going to Jerusalem to die thank you Jenny we're going to read the second half of our, our verses together um, if you'd like to follow it if you'd like to listen to it we won't be thinking very much about this story we thought about it already but the two tie together And I want us to make the connection before we leave this passage. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the feast heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat upon it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he had caused Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. It's a very familiar passage, isn't it? We thought about it already. And yet, as with the story of Mary's anointing of Jesus, there are layers of cultural complexity here which need exploring. Let's take a moment just to think about another scene from the Old Testament. It describes a newly appointed king, Solomon, this time being led into Jerusalem from the spring of Gihon, just outside the city, paraded through the streets on, guess what, a mule, while the people stand and cheer. You know, one of the pieces that I I really hope will appear in the coronation ceremony for King Charles III in a few weeks' time is George Frederick Handel's glorious anthem, Zadok the Priest. Specifically written, actually, for a coronation, George II, in fact, in 1727. And if you've ever wondered where the inspiration for that uh, particular piece of music comes from, well, it comes from here. 
So Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaniah son of Jehoadiah, the Kerethites and the Pelasites went down and had Solomon mount King David's mule and they escorted him to Gihon. Zadok the priest took the horn of oil from the sacred tent and anointed Solomon. Then they sounded the trumpet and all the people shouted, Long live King Solomon. And all the people went up around him playing pipes and rejoicing greatly so that the ground shook with the sound. I wonder if you see the parallel. Just as Solomon had done so a thousand years earlier, Jesus rode a donkey on his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Imagine the scene. As Lucy's already reminded us, the crowd aren't simply greeting a Messiah. They are shouting for the king. Hosanna, they say. Blessed is the king of Israel. The people were recalling their history. They were remembering Solomon, who long ago had ridden through the streets on a mule. They were proclaiming Jesus to be the Messiah. Uh, T. Weiberg, who has written uh, several books exploring the cultural setting of the Gospels, includes one short sentence in her book, Reading the Bible with Rabbi Jesus, that has got me thinking over these past few days as I've prepared for this talk. And here it is. It would be more than likely that the aroma of the perfume with which Mary anointed Jesus would have lingered for days. Just let that sink in a moment. Everywhere Jesus went in those final days, he carried with him the aroma of a king. As the guards approached him to arrest him in the Garden of Gethsemane, he carried the aroma of a king. When Jesus was on trial before Pilate, when he was mocked and whipped and stripped, he carried the aroma of a king. You know, when I think what that means for us, I think it means that in whatever situations we find ourselves during this week as disciples of Jesus Christ, as those who follow in his footsteps, we are to carry with us the aroma of the king. And whilst life might not feel particularly victorious, whilst there will be situations which could be challenging or distressing, they certainly were for Jesus in that last week, we still carry with us the aroma of the king. Rather like Lazarus, spiritually speaking, we no longer carry the aroma of death because of Christ's victory over death. But instead, we carry the aroma of life, which, as Lazarus discovered, had the effect of drawing people to Christ. Do you remember that verse that we read right at the end of that first section? People believed in what had happened. So much so that Lazarus found himself in the line of persecution as well. Let me finish those verses from 2 Corinthians and then Ruth and the band are going to come and we're going to sing together as we close. In the Messiah, in Christ, God leads us from place to place in one perpetual victory parade. Notice it doesn't say in joyful places all the time. From place to place. Through us he brings knowledge of Christ. Everywhere we go, people breathe in the exquisite fragrance. Because of Christ, 
we give off a sweet scent rising to God which is recognized by those on the way of salvation, an aroma redolent with life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity of being able to look into your word again. We thank you for the story of Mary which is so charged and full of emotion, which is so impactful. But it is also a story uh, which should mean a lot for us as we take something of the aroma of Christ with us everywhere we go. Help us, we pray, to do that, to do that on our front lines. As we share Christ with people, help us to be those who carry with us the aroma of the King.